0: On the day, what a sky blue, many men didn't
1: know we coming.
0: I thought that I would open this episode with a song. It's actually a Japanese song, it's not Chinese. It's by a band called Toe, and it's called 8.6. And I thought it was kind of perfect for the story we'll be doing in this episode today. The story is Coming of the Light by Chen Fan and it's on the surface a story about like a tech startup and things that go wrong at it or that go wrong for a guy who's part of it. But the parts of the story that grab me are about the end of the world and what brings it on. And this song that we're listening to is all about a huge cataclysm that happened on the day when the sky was blue and presumably clouds, fluffy and white, were in the sky. I thought I'd also open the episode with the word of the day, do something a bit different. The word of the day I've chosen is actually cloud. It's yun, so you might know it from Yunnan province. It's one of my favourite characters, just visually. It's quite simple. To me, it looks a little bit like a cloud. It looks like it's floating, to, to my eye anyway. But I think with this nice song in your ear, And with the pleasant white fluffy image of a cloud, you could try and think about something scary under the surface. Clouds move very slowly without a sound. You don't see them coming usually, they just have arrived and you don't notice their arrival, you notice the effect that they have arrived and we could think about how technology does that. Maybe there's a little bit of buzz when it appears. You look away for a month or a year or a decade, you look back. And that technology has reshaped the world you live in. You're living in the world it made. Or you could be living in the apocalypse it made, like in this story. So, I've enjoyed waxing lyrical about lovely songs and fluffy clouds and the end of the world. Let's let's get on with things. Let's get on to the trochific news. And after that, you'll hear my discussion about Coming of the Light by Cencio Fan with Francesco Verso, who's his publisher in Italian... Uh, Italian translation? <laughs> He pu- Francesco Verso publishes a lot of sci-fi from all over the world, all translated into Italian. So yeah, he's, he's the guest on the show, we're going to be talking about this story. But before we get to that conversation, we're going to do the Trutrific News, the translated Chinese fiction news. So we got four items, they're all kind of different, yeah, I think there's a reasonable spread of media here. Um, The first one I've gone for is something you can read. It's taken from the new issue of Renditions, which is an academic produced journal, I guess by the Chinese University of Hong Kong. They produce this little, um, I don't know if it's got a print edition actually, but a a journal of um, translations of Chinese lit into English. And The issue has, uh, let me just see, I'm going to see how many Things they have available for free online. The intro note and one story are avail- available to read um, just in PDF form. And the story that is available is called "A Ramble Through the Heart" by Chua Chim Kang. And I don't actually know anything about this story. I just I've just popped the link in the um, in the show notes under news. So yeah, I'll I'll say no more. Uh, and we'll go on to the next news item. This is news about my Scandinavian nemesis. I I say Scandinavian because I don't know if she's Norwegian or Swedish or or what. But um, Astrid Muller Olsen's podcast, Sinophone on Realities, has a new episode out, and it's it's a really interesting and enjoyable listen. It's her talking to Natasha Bru- Natasha Bruce about her translation of Dorothy's Aulish, although Aulish is a very um reduced and clever um, translation of a much longer Chinese title, which I won't spoil for you. <laughs> well, I won't spoil the, the Chinese title because I can't read all these simplified characters I'm looking at, and I will I will not actually spoil the one thing I can read, which is the like literal translation of that title. But they talk about that and loads of other things, and it's a great chat and it's a great podcast and you should listen. And if you like shorter-form podcasts, uh, this is <laughs> If, like Compared to mine, that is. If you think my shows go on for too long, asteroids on this show, I think they float around the half an hour mark, so I know some people prefer that. So, you know, never mind all the speculative and literary slash science fiction-y conversations, maybe you just like half hour nuggets of audio no matter what is in them. In that case, that would also be a podcast for you. Okay, uh, next news item. So it's more women, if you can believe it. Um, and I don't... I know I made that sound like I I, I dread the prospect, but um, yeah, it's a round table about sci-fi. Again, we're, you know, we're on my favorite theme. It's um, shared on the science... Now What is it called? I always forget. The SFRA review. What does SFRA stand for? Science Fiction Research... Something. This is embarrassing. I'm going to have to go looking for what the acronym stands for. Science Fiction Research Association. Yeah, they have published um, a round table which has four people very interested in Chinese science fiction. And I I think we've got at least <laughs> at least one friend of the show on here. We've got Mia Chan Ma, Angela Chan, Yen Wei, Frederica Schneider, Wielsecker, and Regina Kanyu Wang. I ha- again, I have not read this one, but it's f- it's four people. Four? Am I right? One, two, three, five, sorry, five people all uh, very interested in Chinese sci-fi discussing it and you can read this for free on the SFRA website. So what's not to like? Okay, and the final news item it's meta news again, it's me um, pirating some praise uh, for this show that I'm very happy with. So I'll try not to devote half the news segment to this, but you know everyone's a little bit guilty of narcissism, right? So um, the news is Kendall reviews, a, um, a horror blog of all things, uh, have I think, I don't know if this is like a monthly thing they do. I think it is. They choose a couple podcasts to promote every month. And I got a runner-up. So their Scream of the Week, or maybe it's a weekly thing, uh, they awarded to a show called Invasion of the Remake podcast. So I guess it's a podcast all about remakes of movies. And they happen to have covered some horror films. And I got runner-up for, I think, for what what was it on the basis of? Just, yeah, it was because a recommendation was passed on to this person by ye. Or maybe not directly, but ye is he you who I really need to talk to. Uh, ye is he, you, if you are listening. Um, we should do an episode, uh, maybe with uh, John as well, John New um, Blah 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 blah. Yeah. So um, this blog gave a really nice review of of my show, and I won't read it aloud as I'm very tempted to, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, uh, if, if you want to see someone write nice things about this podcast, uh, links in the show notes. But that is all, I guess. That's my pretentious intro with that nice Japanese song. That's the end of the pretentious news segment. So now we can get on to the totally unpretentious and down-to-earth interview. Right, so on the show, we've got Francesco Verso. It is fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, I guess listeners will find out why soon. But first, I'll just ask you, Francesco, how's it going? And what have you been up to recently?
1: Oh, well, I'm fine. And thank you for the invitation. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And, uh, well, I've been uh, recovering from many book fairs, which uh, are, you know, now starting to get back in a, a, as the new kind of normal. And so I had uh, some some book fairs where I... have uh, Showcase a lot of books and especially Chinese science fiction books. So um, that's it. I'm preparing for a small break and then the next year.
0: <laughs> Excellent. That kind of leads right into my next question. What is it that you do? Why have you been de- Why have you been at these book fairs?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm a science fiction writer and editor of uh, a small press called Future Fiction, which is more like a cultural association promoting an an alternative way to, to the future, let's say, including voices that have been neglected or that are considered marginalized by the uh, dominant culture into the science fiction uh, publishing sector. So let's say that we translate from 13 languages and more than 35 countries, the best uh, science fiction authors from all of the world.
0: That's so interesting. Um, so we, before I hit record, we were talking a little bit. Well, I mentioned that the publishing masters I did. And one thing, one topic that was covered in one of the modules we did on that masters was about translated fiction. And a, a lot of the ways, one of the biggest frames we looked at it through, aside from just the pure business side of things, is how it works as a way of trying and succeeding or trying and failing to address some of the imbalance of mm-hmm. of world literature. And mm-hmm. in, in translation, the balance goes something like this. People in English-speaking countries don't read a lot of stuff translated into English from other languages. And mm-hmm. pretty much everyone else in the world reads a lot of stuff translated into their language from English. And it yeah. doesn't, I guess it doesn't take a genius to work out why that is. It's probably a combination of the <laughs> the legacy of British imperialism and there's another English-speaking country today, which is a big power on the globe. Uh, you, you guys may have heard of it, the USA, <laughs> and we're here um, to talk about a piece of Chinese lit that you've actually handled its publication in translation. But it's not into English that you've handled; it's into Italian. So yeah. that's two non-English perspectives. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about those thirteen languages that you um, translate into Italian from. Uh, as are as, you published translations? From those languages, Chinese is just one of those. Are the other twelve from countries and languages that are equally sort of marginalized, or do you think China Chinese lit is a really special case?
1: Well, let's say that considering Chinese as a marginalized language is really it's, it's bizarre because it's the, probably you know the 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 second most spoken language in the world, and it's going to be the first uh, in a few years. So um it is a matter of how the perception and the imbalance of reality is not represented into the market mm. but the other languages are big important relevant languages like french german spanish um portuguese um then i would go into you know some minor ones like italian or or or, or turkish or um, arab <laughs> Uh, I mean, so uh, the fact that science fiction has been dominated by the English language, uh, it doesn't mean that the other countries are without their local um, science fiction scene. Uh, Rather, the opposite. I found out that uh, science fiction has been written in in many countries. Of course, there is a gap uh, in terms of technology, of access to information, but that has been closed by the spread of the internet by the accessibility of many uh, many worldwide technologies so there is now an issue of representativeness of science fiction not of the quality of the stories themselves then we can go into pers- into subjective uh, let's say values of what is good and what is not good but or what is should be considered science fiction what n- should not be considered science fiction or what are the standards uh but who sets these standards you know who defines the the very concept of diversity why should i be diverse from you and what is what is the acceptable science fiction on on a a global level you know that's all. there's a lot to think about that
0: yeah you could think about it forever Uh, actually it's almost as if you read my mind there because there's another question i wanted to ask you um, about the sort of italian side of things Um, And this links back to my master's, because for my dissertation, I chose to look at the translation of sci-fi into English. And the angle I sort of went in thinking I was going to talk about it from was, um, look, the literature that makes it into English from Chinese is very biased towards certain types of novel. Um, Mm -hmm. I assumed it would be mostly dissident fiction fiction. And then everything else gets <laughs> sidelined. I found that maybe wasn't quite the case. It was a combo of literary fiction, like highbrow realist or maybe magical realist stuff mm-hmm. and dissident fiction, which is u- usually in a similar vein, but with a political edge. And then anything that was more in the genre fiction, fan- more fantastical or speculative mm-hmm. lane got sidelined. One of the types of book I thought was really interesting were these uh, books which were definitely realist and rebellious, but weren't dissident and weren't s- traditionally literary, which were sort of a- about um, bad boys. But even they were not really fantastical and speculative, um, mm-hmm. like a lot of Chinese sci-fi and fantasy is. Although I've found even that finding in my dissertation, I question more and more because you can get so many interesting Chinese genre fiction books in English today, Um From the the Wuxia and the sci fi and Mm -hmm. crime genres. So, for all the complaining I wanted to do in that dissertation, I found Chinese uh, English lit, uh, sorry, English language Chinese lit and translation is fairly diverse. It's just interesting to see who gives what attention um Mm -hmm. i try to give every type of thing on the market attention but i'm going to get to my point now and ask you the (laughs) question what is that landscape like in italian um like if i go into a big bookshop in rome or milan and i start looking for books translated from chinese what do you think i would find on the shelf and then if i went online would i find other stuff like on the italian amazon or
1: well when, when when let's say that in in mainstream literature, you would find uh, the the worldwide famous authors like uh, Mo Yan, uh, Yu Wa, and these this kind of uh, authors, which are you know translated in every language. So when it comes to science fiction, you will probably find just Liu Cixin and the novel of Chen Chu Fan, The Waste Tide, uh, nothing else. Um, mm. Really, nothing else. Um, the other things are things that I've done, but are not distributed. So <laughs> right. we chose another path. Uh, so you will not find them on, on, on the bookstore, but you will find them online. So online, there is, of course, much more um, more titles, uh, diverse titles, also getting on the market faster than traditional uh traditional distribution let's say
0: so am i would i be right in saying you do a lot of um like e-publications or do you do print books as well no no, no they are they
1: are printed they're printed they i do both of course
0: i started right. out as a as a native digital
1: publishing house um but uh, then uh I have to say that Amazon opened up uh, a KDP, a Kindle direct uh, publishing system, and it, it worked out very well for, uh, for me. Um, so they, they handled the, the, the print on demand and they did a very good job for me. So I could print also these books and distribute them very, very easily. So yes, um, that's, that's, that's the way we use uh, at the moment.
0: Yeah, for for anyone listening who's not so up on their publishing terminology, print on demand, that would mean that if someone orders one book, uh, Amazon or some other company, I guess Amazon likes to do everything themselves, will print one copy, how would I say this? So it'll be a single copy, which is not the traditional yeah. way of publishing books where you do a big economical economic sort of uh, what's the word economics of scale print run of, of five hundred yeah. or one thousand print
1: run first, a first a huge print run and yeah. then, then stock them somewhere
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so print on demand is yeah. a little bit like printing a document out of your your inkjet sure. printer at home, in a way. But and then it, uh, it's here for a long time. Over to so it.
1: people should know about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I was actually talking to another publisher recently based in uh, Chester and Manchester, which is convenient because. The little town I live in these days is on the railway route between Chester mm-hmm. and Manchester but mm-hmm. he helps to run Camphor Press actually he listens to the show so hello Michael um, and he was telling me that's how they do their books it's um it's a way to sort of solve um, the problem so many indie publishers have of like how the hell am I going to pay for a print run of a thousand books yeah. if I if I can't rely on selling them all sure. speedily yeah so yeah. it's um it's it's a nice little Innovation, I guess, in, in book printing. I guess we shouldn't talk the publishing business all evening. We should <laughs> no, get indeed. to the story, uh, the thing that people are really here for. Um, so you mentioned earlier that two ways one can think about what to publish from uh, other languages. You could think about diversity, trying to pick stuff because it deserves to be included in the bigger picture, or you could think about quality, picking stuff because you love it and it's awesome. And I think we, I'm guessing, we both agree this story. Is just awesome. Yep. it's And it's by a really interesting author. It's Coming of the Light, and it's by Chen Xiu Fan. And I'm really excited to be talking about this one. So I want to ask you, what was your contact with um, Chinese Lit? So first contact with Chinese Lit. first contact with chinese sci-fi first (laughs) contact with chen chiu fan and then finally what was your first contact with coming coming of the light you can manage that
1: we got some time okay uh so well let's start um uh being a a sci-fi writer i was uh participating in many uh, science fiction conventions and i I get to know um many people so uh, I started this, this small enterprise of future fiction. I was scouting for non-English science fiction. And I wrote to, to Ken Liu. Um, and uh, and he, uh, he told me that there was um, a student in Beijing studying science fiction with Professor Wu Yan at the Normal University of Beijing. And she was Italian. And so uh. he said, you should talk to her. And this student really was, uh, you know, my contact with Chinese science fiction. So she introduced me to Professor Wu Yan, and uh, I had the crazy idea of uh, putting together an anthology of Chinese science fiction in dual language, in Italian and Chinese. <laughs> so can you imagine um, the the fact that I put Chinese on? On, on the book was kind of uh, i don't know it, it was considered as crazy i mean really why would you waste half of the book <laughs> for for chinese language and uh, so the the it, it was at the beginning it was nonsense but then uh, through this crazy choice. Um I was invited to China and um and that's where I've met uh Chen Chi at the uh, Chinese science fiction convention. But let's say that I have of course read his stories before actually meeting him. And uh, that happened probably in one of the I mean it's Ken Liu uh we have to thank his work, his excellent translations, that uh, he, he, he he allowed us to read a lot of these stories and including, of course, Coming of Light. Um, so this is the kind of wrap up because of course there's, there's a lot in between. I mean, we're, I'm talking about five years ago and uh, over the years I've met Cianci Fan many times. Uh, I invited him in Italy, he stayed at my place. We went together. Yeah. For a tour in Italy, we went together in many conventions in China. So we we are friends. We we talk regularly. I even ask him to write stories or stuff like that. I even changed the title of "Coming of Light" in Italian, and he said,
0: "Well, that's better." So, <laughs> so what is it in Italian?
1: The title in Italian is "Buddagram," uh, because. Of the app that is the the center of this amazing story, and I thought that it would it would have been more catchy uh, to call actually the app uh, the title uh, BuddhaGram because coming of light is something that
0: um, it could mean anything.
1: Yeah, it could mean anything. It's a bit too you know general. I don't know. I didn't get the the concept. I mean, from the title coming of light. Bu- I, I was a bit puzzled, but when I read the story, I said, "Look, I have a suggestion. What do you think?" And he said, "Yeah, go for it."
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great title, Buddha Gram. I guess for listeners who've not read the story, now would be a great time to explain why on earth Buddha we've got the name Buddha Gram in there. So <laughs> this is what I've been doing for the last dozen or so episodes. I'll have a go at summarising what happens in the story. I mu- I probably will drop some spoilers. Not. 100% spoilers, but if you're listening and you really don't want to know, if you don't want the short story spoiled, then close your ears. Um, but yeah, it goes something like this We're following a young man in a tech company. I believe his name is Joe Chong And he starts off recounting a time in his childhood when he met a was with his mom in a supermarket and they met a, a monk and the monk read uh, recited to them a, a koan which um i have the definition of a, a koan in my notes here my notes are loading so a koan would be a succinct a succinct paradoxical statement or question used as a meditation discipline for novices in buddhism and then expanding on that a bit more the effort to solve in quotes a koan is intended to exhaust the analytic intellect and the egoistic will, readying the mind to entertain an appropriate response on the intuitive level. Each such exercise constitutes both a communication of some aspect of Zen experience and a test of the novice's competence. And the, maybe the really important word there is Zen, because Buddhism, maybe even specifically Zen Buddhism, is a big theme through the story. Yep. But the other theme is um, the tech, yeah, tech, like China's Silicon Valley, basically. Uh, Zhongguan Sun, the area in Beijing, that's like the Chinese Silicon Valley. So the guy we're following, Zhou Chongbo, he's working in a startup in Zhongguan Sun. And I guess long story short, his boss, um, I forget who comes up with it, but his boss's company, this startup, creates this app, Buddhagram. Now, this is where I might be getting things a bit muddled. Buddhagram has a little built-in trick a little hack in its, um, the way it captures images, because I guess it's supposed to be a bit like Instagram. Yeah, it has a watermark, which is capable of containing the, the a way of retrieving the entire image. So if you crop or alter or reduce or shrink or blow up a bootogram image, the original can be retained from, or re-extracted from the watermark. And this causes the app to behave strangely. That's from what I recall. And then the other aspect, the other strange thing that happens with Buddhogram is that they get some monks to bless the app, and Mm -hmm. that causes it to go viral. Um, Either, and I guess the reader can interpret the reason it goes viral, how they like, either it's a silly meme, or there's really something to it. People are looking for some spirituality in their lives. And this is, I guess, where I start to sort of get lost, because the plot gets weird weird things start to happen The sort of the world seems to be becoming strange. Maybe do you want to pick it up here, Francesco? Cause I'm, I'm losing this thread. It's not so weird. It's not so
1: weird It's that mm. the, the, the app gets into the market and mm. it's being used in different ways. So of course it overwhelms their own, the, 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 its own creator and uh, it becomes a, um, like a boomerang effect. So people start to, ask blessing for every kind of thing and and that creates problem because they want to know who the monk is and that goes right into personal problems for the for for the protagonist's family and so that's why he has to run away and everybody has to run away from the company because of these snowball effect that's where we go into the second part of the of the story
0: right perfect um now my memory is a bit hazy here as well, um, but I, th- I think the essence is Zhou Bo has fled to a a Buddhist monastery himself, yeah. and he's an anonymous sort of monk. But he, um, and this is he he one of his superiors in the monastery has some very odd ideas about the nature of the universe and seems to see some parallels between. I guess, digital reality and the reality that Buddhism describes. And this is, I have a note that after I thought about the story for a bit, I felt that although it's not really said explicitly in the story, there's sort of three levels of reality. There's the sort of earthly world, um, the Buddhist concept of dust, which came up in the last episode of this podcast, Dancing Through Red Dust. So if listeners know a bit about Buddhism or if they remember earthly dust red dust is this idea that everything in the world is sort of illusory and tries to lure you in the world's something we need to see past. So there's the the real world, but everyone seems to kind of want to escape the real world onto the screen, the black mirror, if you like, there's Mm -hmm. some discussion in the story of how everyone's addicted to their phone. The main character describes having like a phantom notification pulse on his thigh, where his phone is in his pocket. Like Mm -hmm. I've had that. I've had that phantom pulse. Um, and I made some. I made um, a, th- a comment in my notes that Mark Fisher, the uh, deceased theorist who I brought up on the show a few times, has a talk where he talked about how his phone seemed to have reprogrammed his nervous Im- nervous impulses as well, because mm-hmm. he has an impulse to check his phone. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's the there's the screen world that is transforming people's <laughs> brains and is a place people want to run away to to get out of this world. And then there's the whatever the hidden reality that. Um, is going on in the background. That's referenced directly a few times, and I'm skipping ahead slightly to the end, but at the end of the story, the world seems to be breaking in some way. There's there's a discussion, I forget who Chong uh, Bo has it with, but there's speculation that something in Buddhagram transforms the sort of background reality of the universe, and weird things are happening. A Someone in the US, yeah. a US university, gets shot off screen, so to speak, and Corporate secrets have been stolen, I think, from the U.S.
1: Yeah, there's kind of a rogue rogue algorithm.
0: Yeah, a rogue algorithm. And then right near the end of the story, a meteor... Well, it seems like, because we only see it in a reflection rear view, a meteor shower that was briefly mentioned early on in the story seems to be striking the Earth Mm -hmm. and blowing every Well, bringing about a sudden sharp light that ends things. So the weirdness of the story, like first time I read this I did not have all these complicated thoughts about the meaning but I noticed (laughs) the weird there's a creeping weirdness that you don't even know is there until it's too late and then the story's over and uh, that's why I love the story really the Mm -hmm. the stuff about the tech and Buddhism and Beijing sort of yuppies is really Mm -hmm. interesting Um, but I like it because it's flipping weird and it really really I think the story really rewards a close read trying to treat mm-hmm. it as a koan trying to yeah. treat it as something that you need to solve kind of logically but kind of also like i was saying earlier intuitively using uh fuzzy logic and your your gut mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's why i love the story um what about you francesco do you think there's anything important i missed or anything you'd like to gush about about I, how you well,
1: feel no no it's 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 all there uh, of course it's uh, full of many Yes, it's full of many ideas. It uh, um, puts together this strange acceleration of, of of technology that there is in China, with this uh, kind of they're reaching this escape velocity, you know, mm. and 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 so they need some something to to hold on to, and they they don't know. I mean, is it Buddhism? Is it the family? Is it some kind of you know? Uh, materialism i don't know it's and they don't know i mean this is the thing the chinese science fiction is kind of expressing this this confusion and this incredible mess that is happening to the country in a very short amount of, of time compressed they've received so much and this story is mixed this i mean you go from from, from, from a Buddhist temple to, to the Silicon Valley, just in a, you know, in the blink of an eye, you go from people being alienated by work to his wife trying to, you know, make him realize that they will not have a baby if he doesn't, you know, change his, his life. And I think his, his, his wife is also a very nice character. She was addicted to gaming and then she had to. Uh, kind of become a, a, a ludist, and uh, and then she's trying to pull him back on Earth, you know, from from wherever he's going to. And I like her, I like her character very much. Um, so, yes, you you said you said everything. I I like this story so much that I'm going to do a comic. Uh, oh, fantastic! It's uh, it's gonna be probably next year. Uh, so. Uh, we're gonna have uh, a visual <laughs> edition of of uh, Buddha Gram slash Coming of Light, uh, and uh, so mm, the story deserves to be to be told in many ways. I mean, I I, I would totally say to Chen chufan Fan, please extend expand this story because you have everything to write a novel on this, and mm. I can imagine if you if you read the story. You 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 listen to the tone, it's it feels so much like fight
0: club in Beijing, you
1: know. <laughs> yeah. In some ways.
0: Yeah, that's the thing I like about Chen Shu Fan. I, I mentioned I quite like some of the bad boy writers, um, so like Wang Shua, uh, Murong Shui and all bad boys who are sort of edgy, but they sometimes can be a bit one note writing about these depressed sort of failure guys or maybe they're mm-hmm. sort of misogynistic or maybe they yeah. just drink too much or something kind of thuggish men and um, whereas chen Van stories it feels like there's an edge and a danger and it's like stuff on the ground it's not like leo Sushin style danger where you're in space and an alien mm-hmm. might annihilate you from half the galaxy away it's much more grounded than that and that's something i quite like because one one issue I have with some of the translated Chinese sci-fi I've read is that a lot of it is quite cutesy. I found maybe not so much the stuff that's available as books, but a lot of the other younger writers don't feel to me like they're a Chuck Palahniuk kind of guy. Um, there's there happier stories about more gentle people, which is great, but my cup of tea is for something a bit more dangerous, and yeah. I think is able to get that without it being like dumb. I wanted to bounce back on two things you said there, or not bounce back, that implies I'm going to disagree. I'm gonna do the opposite. I'm gonna try and keep the the point you made running. So one, you mentioned acceleration. That's a perfect word. If if sort of technological acceleration is something people are interested in reading about in a story, this is a great story for that. Um, I have acceleration twice in my notes, Once is a comment on a little bit I've quoted from the story, so the part of the story that I've copied and pasted out into my notes goes like this. In the end, we underestimated the creativity of users. It turned out that Buddhism pictures, due to the presence of the watermark, could be recovered from even low-resolution copies or crop fragments. That meant they could be shared and forwarded without taking up much bandwidth or time. And I've said this is a fun idea. It's the idea, and maybe it is just an idea, but it's a compelling one, that you can use technology in a sort of decentralized way through the internet and individuals to give people a kind of a hack, something that will let them compress things or accelerate things and sort of cheat, send more information, but with less time, less effort, more ease. And it even can become a way to sort of, in this story, hack reality because something weird happens to the universe. So from something as small as a clever little trick that lets you shrink an image, but not destroy the image, there's this crazy idea that that might transform things in completely unsuspect uh, ways you'd never expect. And the other thing I wanted to go with a little further is you mentioned the wife and how she's been through a sort of deprogramming from a gaming addiction. In a camp and the crazy thing is maybe maybe you know this i'll bet some of our listeners don't know these are real things in china that um really exist i think they might have been short-lived i think they were uh, became notorious quickly for being extremely harsh and you know education and parenting can be pretty harsh in Mm -hmm. china but even this was too harsh for some people um like anti-gaming boot camps and it's one of many things I think you can see Chen Fan doing. He's really good at picking things that you would never believe would be real, but in today's um mainland China, actually they're real. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, there's no you know, there's no footnote in the story to tell readers that, but it's interesting no, yeah. to know. Yeah. I don't know but, most uh, so much about them, but I think it's just worth mentioning. I
1: I wanted to add something uh because of for the first the first observation you made because yes in a way uh it looks like the system is giving people some some freedom to maneuver this technology but in reality what what he says some pages later i i I translate because i i don't have the english text i have the Mm, chinese translation so i will translate we are like um um birds lost in the fog constantly attracted by bright mirror bright bright displays until we don't forget until we forget the direction where we were flying to um so this is the thing i mean yes you can exchange whatever you want but you're still in this cage and you don't know where you actually what what the hell you're doing you're exchanging pictures (laughs) and you what you see this is the thing you're you're you know making faces um making selfies changing the blur the color the thing what are you doing with this technology the nonsense of it is the the the, the main point I think
0: (laughs) yeah no every day I pick up my phone to like turn on my alarm for the next morning when I need to get up for work And then in seconds, I'm in one of my social media apps and I've forgotten what I'm, I literally remember a minute later, I was supposed to set my alarms. I actually did that three times in a row last night. It's a bit distressing. I've I've got that exact quote that you you lifted in my in my notes. And I'm going to okay. I know we should be going through our questions I prepared, but I want to I really want to <laughs> quote this part, too. So we had the bit about the birds lost in fog and then it keeps going. This is Ken. Ken I think this is. A, yeah, this is Ken Leo's translation, I should say. So these are Ken Leo's translation. Uh, Yet cold night has fallen and hungry predators are approaching in the dark. My phone beeps, indicating that it's nearly out of battery. My instinctive reaction is not to conserve, but to rush to look through WeChat moments posted in my network. Every last drop of juice must be used to its fullest extent and not be wasted with invisible background processes. Now you get a glimpse of my values, my philosophy. So there's a huge amount to say there. I think the line, hungry predators are approaching in the dark, Mm -hmm. that's more significant than I think we first realized because something is coming in the background and we never learn what it is. And the fact it's phrased here as hungry predators is really interesting, makes it sound like a Cthulhu story. Something's coming from outside and we're distracted in the fog. And then I've I've highlighted the words instinctive reaction because yeah, it's it's not even something he has a choice to do. His phone is programming him, reprogramming mm. his instincts or ha- hijacking his instincts to mm. keep clicking like or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got the phrase invisible background processes. I I, I highlighted that because I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And I think also the, the phrase, every last drop of juice must be used to its fullest extent. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we may maybe think just because we're using technology that we're optimizing or maximizing something. But maybe you're just the one being optimized. Just because you're using yeah, yeah. A, a piece of advanced technology doesn't mean anything um, because as as it is in this story it's not useful things that are being spent on it and he actually deliberately rejects the background which is a mistake he doesn't realize until it's far too late the background is actually really important (laughs) that was that was all i wanted to say do you want to throw out anything else or should we keep moving through our our set questions let's let's move on okay great let's move on um So I thought we could look at the koan itself, keeping things mysterious. So I'll read the English translation of this koan at the start. Although I guess I can say if you're a Chinese listener and you're like, koan, what the hell are you talking about? In Mandarin, (laughs) this is a a gong an. Um, It has a K in English, I think, because of the old Wade Giles spelling Mm -hmm. where G's, letter G's were letter K's. So in like the 20th century, this would have been known as a a kong an in in i guess in english but in, it should be in mandarin a gong an but in this story ken leo has rendered it as just koan which is how you'd usually see it in english so anyway here's the koan as clouds drift across the sky so master in the void is seen dust clings to everything but what is true over and over the monk queries what does your visit mean master points to cyprus which in courtyard has taken root so I have some thoughts about what it means, um, but Francesco, do you, what the hell does it mean?
1: Well, I, I would I'd rather listen to you first, because <laughs> I'm not so good in koan.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. So I spent a whole evening puzzling okay. this. Um, right. So my interpretation, and I'm reading this from text, that's why I'm using big words. Um, I think the koan suggests that truth exists on timescales beyond our understanding, in mm-hmm. things that exist outside of human time, outside of material, we can perceive in the background and in absence rather than in the foreground. And I'm getting that from the second line, dust mm-hmm. clings to everything which is true. Dust, uh, Hongchen, red dust, that's the illusion. That's the world. That's like the matrix, basically. That's yeah. the world Buddhists want to sort of transcend. Um The tree which has already taken root in the courtyard suggests some non-human working so i'm deliberately using weird (laughs) arcane phrases but something that is not human a tree a tree is a kind of life that exists far beyond our lifespans often and has some you know it has some kind of existence plant existence which we just can't get our heads around plants are aliens that's what i'm saying um and it's an invasion from the outside maybe um I know a lot of courtyards in Chinese houses often have people have planted the tree there, but the koan says it has taken root. So maybe a a bird dropped it from its, Mm -hmm. you know, its, its feces and it's, it's growing there. It doesn't, it's not from this human home. It's some alien thing growing there. And that process is underway very, very slowly. And last, the last line I've said, the master may have stepped out from the beyond to deliver a warning? Because the first line says, as clouds drift across the sky, so master in the void is seen. So something has arrived. So it's just all very spooky.
1: I think, I think that the two first lines are about the, the flow of life. The, the fact that things are, 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 are moving, are inconsistent, are uh, have this, 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 we are in this stream of of life, and the only way we can grasp, we can we can understand something is putting roots. So, in a way, with all this acceleration of technology, the only way is to plant your roots to have a baby. You know, so this this is kind of kind of I, I see it as is uh, projected into this accelerated reality. Which has it, it, it is stopping him from from seeing the the reality of things, and then he he goes back to his i mean or at least he he makes he plants his roots um watching you know his baby uh, born so it could be i mean of course we are just uh, uh thinking about, it, but these forces you know the the one thing that is dynamic, the other that is static and these these is the two main forces of 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 the universe you know the entropy and the and the uh the other one uh,
0: um the more static yes. sort of yes. the eternal there's a good word yes the the two the two forces you know yeah you've, um yeah Um. that's you what were, i got for me right yeah you've you've reminded me of something that is initially gonna sound irrelevant but we'll see why it's irrelevant uh, i was in my hometown, Dundee, um, waiting on my girlfriend's dad arriving. And while we were sat outside, there was a, a youngish mother um, with a toddler. And the toddler was just wandering around. Fortunately, there was, it was not too busy. It was a sort of large court, courtyard sort of area, funnily enough. And she wasn't, the boy was just wandering wherever. And she was barely paying him any attention. I kept worrying he was going to run onto the road or fall over. And the reason mm. she wasn't paying him any attention was she was eyes <laughs> on her phone. And that sounds like the most mundane thing. I might sound like an old man complaining about that. But like in the context of this story, that mom is trying to escape reality into her phone. And the cost is neglecting her child. And I think I, if, if I remember right, when um, Chong Bo sees the meteors or what the, whatever it is coming to destroy the world, he sees it reflected in the eyes of his son that he's looking into. I think I'm remembering that right. So yeah, he's finally paying some really close attention to a really important part of reality and he's losing it. Uh, There's one one other thing I wanted to say. Um, So we mentioned acceleration and I know in accelerationist or Silicon Valley thinking, one sort of silly, but also who knows, maybe really important strand of thought is that all this technological acceleration actually has one endpoint, and that's the creation of artificial intelligence. You use the Mm -hmm. word liftoff. And that line mm-hmm. of thinking says when technology is able to improve itself, that's takeoff. That's where mm-hmm. something not of the flesh is going to sort of surpass us and replace us. Who knows? Could be a ridiculous thought. But I kind of wonder if that's not necessarily what the story is about, but it's hinting at that sort of um, that arrival of something that's totally beyond us from, from technology, but also from something beyond our mind's comprehension.
1: I I think it, it, that's that that story was a bit too early for that. He's working on that at the moment. I mean, uh, I'm the yes. this story is from some years ago. Um mm. but at the moment he's really into artificial intelligence, so that's what he's working on now. Right.
0: Interesting. I think we've talked quite a lot about the foreground and the background already, so I'll move on to um memes, another another accelerating crazy thing. And I know memes are something that technology has accelerated because i was around the end of high school the meme like the square or rectangular jpeg the caption was becoming a thing and fast forward 5 10 years um or yeah 11 years to today memes are like so bizarre and referencing referencing references they've come they have dis- they haven't just become more complex they've disintegrated like the the meme Memes have become, part of the joke is that they might be more pixelated or more distorted. JPEG files do a thing where if you share them over and over again, they degrade. And that was a thing, I think that was a trend from a few years ago. But yeah, um, the acceleration of these things that by definition are things that are transmitted and reshaped and repeat, break, they, they have a tendency towards entropy, um, not sort of refinement. And mm-hmm. Memes from Chinese and Western culture appear in the story. So off the top of my head, um, Chong Bo's girl, his wife, references NPCs, which is um, yeah. quite a political meme, actually, from sort of the 4chan alt-right world. I think initially they use it to describe, um, not well, it's, it's from video games, non-player character. So it's people who basically have a mainstream opinion that these guys don't like they dehumanize those people by calling them NPCs mm-hmm. and that's referenced in the story in not such a malicious way, but that's, no, that's the origin point. Like yeah. we could, we could use it today um, and re sort of recontextualize it, but that's, that's where it spawned that meme. And then we have at least one other from Chinese culture. We have Duang. Have you ever come across Duang before? Mm, what do you mean? Because I'm not familiar with the word. Uh, duang. So it said D U A N G. I will just I'll find it in the original text. D U A N G. Yeah. Okay. So Ken Leo's translation it goes like this: On the hour or at designated times, the box will even emit a tranquil, meditative duang, like the ringing oh, okay. of a um. Now it's it's a meme because um there is no duang in Mandarin. You can have yeah. gu- guang or huang but it can't begin with the d sound um okay. that's an internet joke that started so someone rediscovered an old advert jackie chan mm-hmm. uh chun long as he's known in, in mainland china uh, did for some shampoo and he was okay. trying to describe what the shampoo did to your hair does to your hair and he went oh you know it does start saying something but it makes it curly and bouncy it's kind of like and then he goes duang and mm-hmm. um the the people who were sharing the video were saying wait, which character is that? What is Duang? And someone actually made a a new Chinese character to represent Duang. They took uh, the Cheng and Long from Jackie Chan's name, merged them together, and that became a new (laughs) Chinese word, Duang. I have um, an anecdote for that one. Um, A year or two after Duang had been a big hit on the chinese internet i had an internship at that shanghai magazine and they were doing a sort of um new year meme review they were trying to do an article for for expats to teach them about big memes on the chinese internet and um, one of the editors suggested how about we do duang and the lead editor said no duang is dead that was years ago There's no more Duang. so Duang is dead. Is like burned into my mind. But I guess when he wrote the story, it might have been big. But yeah, anyway. So there are Western and there are Chinese memes in the story. What do you think of that?
1: This would be a perfect um, question for 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 Chu Fan. Uh, right. The, the thing is, probably he's trying to you know use it in a playful way. Not 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 so. Um, Even the the non playing characters is used in a in a very soft way, like to say you 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 pretend too much of yourself. You think you are you know you know you're not so important as you think you are. So in this way, there's I don't think I don't have anything more to add to this.
0: That's sorry. I don't know. Um, I'll do a variation on that question then um, that's maybe better suited to you hmm. since you edit and write a lot of fiction well you write your own fiction and you edit published fiction from all over the world have you seen other in- stories that do interesting things uh, with internet culture in your in the sci-fi that you handle that would be similar or con- con- interesting contrast with what uh, Chofan's doing in this story?
1: There's 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 a problem here with the what we miss with the translation, you know. So it's compli- it's it's difficult.
0: I think it's also difficult because a lot of writers don't touch sort of like social media in their stories. They sort of just to keep things simple, they don't include it. Like uh, smart smartphones in movies are often sort of snipped out because it would totally transform the plot. It's difficult. It's difficult
1: because it's culturally specific um, in a way. I mean, if you're not doing, you know, your own thing in, in English for the English speak. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would I would like to see it in, 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 in Chinese if, if I could understand Chinese, how it was handled. Uh, but I, I do have published an Italian um, story that deals exactly with memes. Mm. and it's full of uh, of crazy things these these cats all over the place and um so uh, there th- there is th- there is a, there is this this uh, i don't know it's it, it depends on how much the writer belongs to this generation you know so it must be young enough to because i'm too old for that probably right so i have a very passive and outside point of view about memes um so i'm missing i'm totally missing the references and totally missing the the the, the, also the sense of it i mean i have just a broad general idea and i don't use them and i don't you know i'm not part of that culture so i'm not the best person to talk about that
0: that's 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 fair i have a a half sister who is half my age, actually. So I'm 28. So do the maths. you can work out how old she is. (laughs) And yeah, she's living in a different internet culture for me. I know I'm never going to touch TikTok. No, (laughs) no, thank you. Um, But it's interesting how the nature of the media, the the medium shapes how you use it. So like, um, I don't know, when you were in your 20s, like what were the media and the mediums that were on the cutting edge that you were interested in?
1: I was born analogic, mm. <laughs> of course. I was a DJ, and I was I was I used vinyl, and then all of a sudden it was CDs, and then all of a sudden it was MP3, and then all of a sudden, bam, bam, bang, bang, streaming, and disappeared. So I I've seen these in in music, but um, well, uh, of course I was I was grown up with a Commodore 64 with tape. <laughs> recording forever to load the game and 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 pac-man and donkey kong and this kind of thing so of course it's another age it's completely another age these things are really specific to your generation because if i say to my daughter pac-man she would just uh, probably think it's a t-shirt you know because they see these i mean i've even talked to some people they think that you know uh what is nirvana yeah well they think that you know nirvana is is a group you know they, they don't know b- about what before that what was the meaning of nirvana they didn't even think nirvana is a t-shirt again you know <laughs> uh, because they seen that media they haven't they don't have any reference to to the to the rest yeah. so yeah again we we that that terminology speaks to the people that can understand it and that that's interesting
0: yeah, I think um, the Nirvana logo on T-shirts is a good example of like an an analog meme. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a chance to bring up the like the original meaning. It was Richard Dawkins of all people that came up with this word. Um, I guess before he was focused mostly on being an angry atheist, yes. he was interested yes. in more interesting stuff. Um, so his definition the is gene. Yeah, yeah an element of a culture or system of behavior passed from one individual to another by imitation or other non-genetic means. So yeah, I was talking about memes there as if they began in 2008, like 9, 10, but of course that's mm-hmm. not true. Cultural memes are, yeah, you know, they've gone on since the ancient times. They've just, they're oh. their digital is one form that they take now, but it's, you know, there are still analog memes. Yeah. Um, I'll keep us moving, but yeah, I just wanted to say when <laughs> I was growing up, uh, I had a tape a cassette player that had like kids stories like children's audio books mm-hmm. but that was like the last years of of those things <laughs> I was born right at the transition to CDs um yeah. and yeah now they're gone too basically I still have my yeah. CDs but I've got no reason to keep them really yeah yeah okay let's keep it moving so my next question was about um Silicon Valley and Zhongguancun so like the Beijing Silicon Valley mm-hmm. um now, um, this is actually quite similar to that last question I asked you. So, you're you're someone who's very involved in sci-fi. I wanted to ask you: Have you seen other stories that handle the tech world and its obsessions? And that those could be any obsessions. But um, yeah, have you have you seen much stuff like that? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, especially I mean, if we're talking about Chinese science fiction, I've I've published a lot of it, and and of course there is there's a lot of these anxieties, a lot of these fears that are projected, embedded into these the, the, new technologies. So for example, um, I published a st- beautiful story by Mu Ming, which is a young, talented author. And uh, she wrote a story about um, retinal adjusters, uh, which is really like affecting the way we see things, we see colors. And uh, uh, this is, is a beautiful story that of course goes so deeper, so deep into the, the sense of sight uh, that it really changes the way we perceive reality. And there's a conflict with her mother, which of course is, uh, she opposes uh, this kind of technology, but she's left uh, um, behind because everybody is using this technology to augment themselves. So what is the cost that we pay in terms of refusing to upgrade ourselves? And what do we get from the standardization of our site with all the others? Because these retinal adjuster are, you know, kind of letting everybody see the same reality. So it's really, really interesting. And, I, and that's another way of seeing... Uh, I think from, from from the perspective of a female writer, that's also very, very interesting. That's a, a wonderful story. Yeah, that, that, that says a lot. And also, I mean, if you take, probably you've read uh, Jia's story, uh, Tongtong Summer, mm. uh, that's also been the use of the hafu, the use of the android to support an aging population is is wonderful there because it puts the... The missing energy of the old people back into circulation uh, through the use of technology, so you there you have a positive um, use of of these androids in a way that they are supporting the the the, the old people um, so really I think it's it's a very interesting way how Chinese writers are trying to answer or trying to address some of the Big questions that are pervading the the population, or or even you know the, the 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 horizon of what things how they will be gone this way or the other way. You know, that's a that's a very good forecasting, uh, experiment I think or forecasting exercise.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, as as much as I like Chen your Fan, some sometimes his stories can get really um literary let's say they 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 don't work all they don't always work so much as like practical sort of thought experiments of where could the technology take us but tong tong summer is an interesting case of something that yeah could be one way that things really could go it's, mm-hmm. it's it, so it's got that yeah that interesting yeah an interesting connection with possible a possible not so abstract reality and oh. it's yeah In-
1: I I just remember another one that mm. I just published uh, last month it's Han Song I um, probably oh, you- I love you him so it so much yeah. yes Han Song and, and there's this story Paradise 28 uh, I translated it like that where okay. they kind of create <laughs> these cities for old people where they you know they send these 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 old people to these cities run by artificial intelligence are they better off mm. <laughs> yeah. uh I, I don't know I mean they are perfectly happy. They do what they want. They have good life, enjoy everything, but, you know, they, they, they see their children. They don't see their children anymore, just holograms. Mm. So it's so weird, but I heard that they're going to have some experiment of having these special areas where old people are, you know, put all together, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I saw, um, I think it's just a thumbnail for a news story I didn't read, but it was saying this year could be the first year that the world population has fallen. And I guess this is something that's coming for uh, a lot of countries, both Western and East Asian, is the the problem of the aging population, where the oh, yeah. number of old people is going to be that high. How on earth, economically as well as socially, can you support them? So, yeah, like I think um, Tenchil Fan might have said this himself. I know. I've said it. I think I said this in my dissertation. The same future is coming for all of us, but it could come in China first. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and that's one case where yeah, they're they're already they have already ta- the government has taken steps to deal with that population bomb by reversing the one-child policy into a three-child yeah. policy. I yeah. want to rewind slightly because um, you mentioned moving. Moving has something. I actually have read that story that you were describing. The London Chinese sci-fi group covered it, and I love it. I would love to talk about that story, but I'm going (laughs) to keep us moving. So Mu Ming, at at least at the time I read that story, was working in Google in the U.S. That means she has something in common with Chen Chiu-Fan, because he worked in Google in Beijing when they had more of a presence there. Um, And the reason I'm bringing up Google is I read a little article in preparation for our conversation about Buddhism in Silicon Valley. I'm going to hmm. put a link to this in the show notes. Oh, thank you. This was written, it was in Wired magazine, which I think has covered uh, Chen Fan. actually. I'm sure Wired has done a piece on his work. But anyway, this article is from 2013. So oh, eight, that's eight years ago. Now. Yeah. 2013 was eight years ago. But yeah, it's just, a. it's mental how much Buddhism had sort of integrated into like Facebook Mm-hmm. Google, and it makes a great companion piece to this story because you realise, yeah, this is not something Chinchou fan is just pulling out the air. This is a real thing, oh, yeah. and it's an interesting comparison because obviously, in um in the Silicon Valley context, this is for the most part Westerners sort of making use of an Eastern, sort of Indian and Asian and East Asian uh, philosophy. I didn't mention this already, but it's in my notes. Zen Buddhism is an interesting thing because Buddhism is Indian Zen Buddhism has its roots in China as a Chan Buddhism but we call it Zen because it was sort of preserved and popularized in Japan where I guess yep. Chan translates to Zen or is it something like that and yep. Ken Leo has chosen to render it as Zen but I would assume in the Chinese it's probably Chan but anyway I'm 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 losing I'm yeah i'm meandering so yeah um to to actually know to stay on that point there's one the guy that the article introduces us to first is called chada or chade not sure mong tan who is at least at the time the article was written was google's buddhist guy basically he would lead little buddhist meditation sessions and his official job title in google was um jolly good fellow he had a very bizarre (laughs) job title and it says in the article that um Ched Meng Tang was introduced to... But he's Singaporean. I think he's judging by Meng Tan, Pretty sure he's Chinese-Singaporean. And he was introduced to Buddhism by an American Buddhist nun. So there's this really complicated East-West transmission of this Asian Asian religion, which businesses were trying to basically use to sort of hack their workers, like improve mm-hmm. their workers, I guess, productivity or the, their... Um, stability, keep them in the company longer, blah, 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 blah. I could talk about this article for a long time, but I'll, I'll finish on this. Um, the course in Google um, where you could practice Zen Buddhism had a name. It was called Search Inside Yourself. So yeah, it's stranger than fiction. Um, I would love to read more stories about about this whole, st- this whole dynamic, but it's great that Ten Chofan has given us an example of how this works or might work in yeah China. I know he used or at least Ken's translation uses the phrase pop Buddhism. And it's an interesting thing because in in the West I guess we have one kind of sort of dumbed down Buddhism. But the same thing does happen in China. People will sort of um post Buddhist stuff to their social media feed that is maybe not, I don't know, it's maybe not direct from the texts. It's not the product of years of meditation, but it's it's sort of being used as like I don't know posting a feel good picture of the raccoon hanging from the branch that says, hang on in there, you know, just sort of cultural uh, (laughs) trash floating around on the internet. (laughs) Do you want to say anything or should we keep moving?
1: No, let's move.
0: Keep moving. Okay. Right. So at the end of the story, the narrator knows the end's coming, but he doesn't really know why. Do you think as readers, we can piece together like why, like what happened? Is there an answer to the mystery or do you think it's best left as a mystery? I
1: was a bit puzzled here because I think that the, the story, there's no, there's no big, big mystery except for these, you know, these stars maybe falling, um, but meteorites, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think they're hitting the Earth. At least, they, 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 it wasn't meant oh, to be like that.
0: Maybe I've misread that. Interesting.
1: No, but I mean, um, I just no, 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 no. I mean, I thought the story was pretty clear at the end in the sense that. The baby is the solution uh, from my point of view, oh. from my point of view. The fact that he's going back, he's, he refuses the second call of his, of his former boss. So he's choosing his wife, he's choosing his, his you know, he's becoming a man in a way, you know. So he's putting roots. He's becoming that cypress of the Cohen that we've seen at the beginning not being blinded by the by the dust Mm. Uh, so that's how
0: i saw the end of the story that's great it's great that we have different readings because then listeners we're not dictating to one answer (laughs) to the listeners i i think i might read the last few paragraphs of the story and then listeners (laughs) will hopefully be enticed to read the rest of it if they haven't already uh so it goes like this If this is the reason that the universe is collapsing, then all I can say is that the programmer is incompetent. Why regret destroying such a shitty world? But I'm holding my baby son, his tiny fist enclosed in my hand, and all I want is for time to stop forever, right now. I regret everything I've done, or maybe everything I haven't done. In these last few minutes, a scene from long ago appears in my mind. That guy wearing the army coat on the pedestrian overpass. He's staring at me and my wife, and like some stuck answering machine, he says, the quadranted meteor shower will come on January Mm. the 4th. Don't miss it. No one is going to miss this grand ceremony for going offline. I play with my son, trying to make him laugh or make any sort of expression. Suddenly, I see a reflection in his eyes, rapidly growing in size. It's the light coming from behind me. So yeah, you're right. It's quite ambiguous it could be happy yeah, yeah. or it could I see be your
1: yeah i see your point yeah. I, I see your point and i'm following again i see your point that maybe this these are this is the end of the world it could be but it is totally it's coming like uh, unexpected i mean if you i mean where is the nasa telling us that the meteorites you know <laughs> are hitting us you know yeah where is the 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 american astronaut
0: saving the world you know <laughs> yeah i mean a, a new reading now maybe he's remembering this guy predicting the end of the world and then he imagines it's coming because what a good note to end on finally paying attention to your son i think
1: i don't know uh, uh, i will ask her uh, Chufan next time i see him <laughs> or we could we could invite him to <laughs> he'll smile and he'll wink and he'll tell you nothing They of course, of course not. No, that's that's the that's the way it should be. You know, that's the way Uh it should
0: be. Totally, Um, yeah. I feel the same. I'd love to quiz. I'd love to present to him my ridiculous, insane person, (laughs) ten-page theory. But really, I shouldn't. It's better not to. Okay, so I guess we're we're getting near the end of our chat. I have I I have a thing that I've been doing on recent shows where I ask like a a bonus question, which I'm going to cut out of the main episode and put on my Patreon feed for the supporters of the show. Uh, So that bonus question is this. Yeah, I guess like an easy way to like do a little test, a scientific test, is the story hard sci-fi or not? Is do you need to know some science to understand Mm -hmm. it? Or is it going to explain you some science? And it doesn't really, I think some knowledge of tech could help. And that would make sense because that's, Potential fans' background, he's not like a physics mm-hmm. guy or a chemistry guy or a biology guy or a space yeah. travel guy. His When he's worked as a professional outside of literature, it's been in companies just yeah. like this. I'm sure that helps him, has helped him to write the story. It makes you wonder if he's met guys like the boss in this story, Lao Shu. <laughs> I'm sure he couldn't name them, but I'll bet he's met some characters, in whether it's in Zhongguan Sun in Beijing or it's Silicon Valley in California. I bet he's met some interesting characters. Oh, yeah people
1: absolutely
0: <laughs> have um, have you heard about um that in i think in beijing these days or in china he's been reaching out to shamans yeah. from like inner mongolia yeah 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 do you know much yeah, about yeah, that yeah. I mean,
1: when when we talked uh last time in some panel he told me that with the pandemic he used this time to kind of go out of uh out of the system uh really he wanted to disconnect himself from from that uh kind of uh hyperconnected accelerated uh, reality so he really went into the mountains he spent some time on his own that that's what he told me and i wonder what is the result of that uh period of time what whether that will be reflected into his new stories i don't know uh so
0: yeah that's what i know I'm, I'm really interested to see the results. Cause like when I first saw that, it was like shamans, huh? But on the, the other part of me, was like, yeah, that's, uh, that makes so much sense that that seems like a, a next logical step for the crazy places. But, he's let, taking his, uh, his ideas.
1: Say, I don't know if I, I mean, I don't know if this is true. This is just my personal opinion. I mean, I've been telling him and not just him, but all everybody about, about this solar punk thing that I'm doing and uh, I'm I'm been mm. promoting this every way I can and and he liked that very much so probably I hope that if I think he saw the potential of this new idea and uh, and and probably is doing something about that so
0: let's see maybe I hope do you do you want to talk more about solar punk for listeners who don't know the word
1: let's say it's just the, the legacy of the old uh, cyberpunk, which turned out to be our mainstream reality at the moment. So with, uh, <laughs> you know, data theft, uh, with uh, pollution, sprawling cities, uh, uh, this, you know, monolithic uh, capitalism that is running the system of the world, uh, maybe we should uh, find an alternative to this kind of uh, Uh, nihilistic, uh, cynical reality that uh, we're being sold every day so some kind of people are trying to say we should you know, try to um, imagine a different scenario, imagine a different reality, so using technologies to give independence and autonomy to the people uh, to you know, if if you don't if you can't fix it, you don't own it you know, these kind of things, you know, like uh, we used to open up our PCs. We used to to open up our devices and change them. You know, but now we can't do that anymore. So we just mm. we just consumers. We want to be prosumers. You know, we want to be a ba- we want to uh, do the things. You know, not just use them. And so Solarpunk is trying to 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 say that the the new resources, the, the 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 way we've been producing and distributing wealth is is not the best and. With, they try to create some exit strategies to this current situation in a practical and uh, and, 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 and viable way. so it, it, it gives science fiction a new direction because at the moment is not looking at the future really. From my point of view, it, it was it split in two. One is the um, let's say the outside. The space, the new space opera. You know, like uh, leave this planet and colonize another one. Uh, the other one, is the Elon Musk mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you know, you 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 find another trash bin to you know <laughs> throw all the dirt. Yeah. The other one is the anyway, it's the the the, the post cyberpunk. So it's this applying the same logic of. Um, extractivism extracting value from every single behavior every single thing that capitalism can think about and and then you build up another dystopia another post-apocalyptic scenario another you know this kind of um, nonsense or at least the end of the world you know it's it's over and over again so in between these two there is solar punk i think um some some way to try to imagine a better society um, because if this goes on which is one of the most important uh, uh um let's say narrative methods of building a science fiction story then you you end up with the same story over and over again so
0: we need to find another another narrative and Solarpunk is providing that and do you see any of that in the Chinese sci-fi you've come across?
1: Um not at the moment, because they are very confused with I mean the old generation, namely uh Liu Tisin, Wanjing Kang, Han Song, they were born with with a space opera and with a new wave. So they, they they're they're still there, of course. Uh from different sides uh Han Song is kind of like philip dick way and 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 and, and, and you've seen kind of arthur clark uh way you know mm. uh, but the others are more into into like oh, how can i say mm, they don't have the they don't have the punk you know because they cannot be very easily punk in china so the the yeah <laughs> the fact that they 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 are missing this um, counterculture. Um, how can I say, outcast uh, vision of reality. Uh, so they their characters are not
0: not many edgy. Like yeah. I was saying earlier, it's it's impressive actually that Chen Shivan has found a way to write and be published, and have a little bit of an edge because although you never you never see it's I guess it's pretty rare even now under Xi Jinping to hear that a a Chinese book got censored just for being edgy Mm -hmm. but a writer who is like that might struggle to to get published unless it's a very safe kind of edginess about a guy who like drinks too much or like a thing I've enjoyed in mainland Chinese lit is (laughs) there's a lot of Stories with very nihilistic characters, which I know you're saying is a problem, but it's kind of, it's interesting for me to read that kind of edginess coming from a country which you might expect to censor it. But yeah, to try and have something a bit more substantive, like what you're looking for, but also have a bit of an exciting edge. Maybe they're not getting censored, but maybe they're just not finding publication, so to speak.
1: Yeah, well, of course, no, there, there is a lot of, of these, but uh, Solar Punk has a specific uh vibe so it's it it, it is a, a receipt of a couple of ingredients you know so um there are counterculture i mean Jung Ran.
0: have you read the ether um uh i th- maybe uh i, get, I think Jung run is someone i get mixed up with a few <laughs> other people but i th- did ken leo's uh broken stars have a Jung Ran story or i imagine that but find out ether 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 uh it's a
1: very 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 good one uh but in, in general of course there are uh positive stories you know optimistic stories but to really consider it solar punk it takes a bit more so but but i'm i'm hopeful i mean i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> uh spreading the seeds so the the they, they, they will blossom in due time i'm i'm sure um that's that's the right place to to
0: plant them cool all right um i guess we can go on to the last questions now the further reading questions so if our listeners really read or have read coming of the light aka buddhagram and they really enjoyed it uh where else would you send them and this could be something chinese but it doesn't have to be
1: my suggestion would be to read for sure Han which Mm. is a is a previous generation but he's a great writer and he kind of addresses some of the same anxieties of of Chu Fan, less on a technological level but more on a philosophical and political level uh so his metaphors his uh, allegories are really powerful one um if you've read the rebirth bricks that's uh an amazing story, really amazing story. Mm, that's one author totally to to check out. And I, I would say, if on a more a soft soft mm, softer level, I I really like uh, Xia Jia. Uh, she is the let's say the other side. You know, if you have yin and yang, she is you know yeah. the other side because they're they're kind of. Um, grow together. Uh, they're often the two champions of contemporary Chinese science fiction. They often are invited to conventions together. Uh, they are, you know, good-looking, stylish, uh, speak English, uh, can, you know, really deliver uh, on on stage and online. So uh, she uh, can really mix the myths, legends, and folklore 2,000 years of, of history and projecting it into the future with, with these androids and holograms that could you know, keep the family together, help uh, to sustain the, this, this aging population. I really love the way she can talk about the, the, the feelings that are affected by technology On on different level on the familiar level on the couple on the on on the individual, Um, so that that would be my suggestion. Um, The spring festival. Have you read that story? Spring festival.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's in one of the cameo anthologies. I believe
1: that's amazing. Also, and I have been telling her so many times. I mean, she needs to finish this novel. the encyclopedia of uh, i don't remember uh, something about the uh, chinese something yeah. something and, yeah. and 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 that, come on you, because she she hasn't written a novel yet and uh, i really would like to 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 read it and publish it in, in italian uh, so she's again my my one of my best uh, chinese science fiction authors
0: yeah, um, I think Song and Chen Chufan—they're like my faves. But Xiao Jia would be in close running for third place, I think. And the, the Song and her are a great, great yin and yang because Hansong's the guy you read at least I read his stories, and I think, oh no, I was right all along. Life is pointless. <laughs> yeah. It is all just a ho- it's a horror show. Every second is just a weird, disturbing yeah. horror show. I guess I'll just resign myself to my fate. And then when I read Shaja, I stop thinking about oh, yeah. all those things. And I'm not thinking, oh, life is wonderful. I'm not thinking in those abstract terms. I'm usually just crying and smiling at the same <laughs> time. Because, yeah, she, um, a lot of her stories have touched me a lot. Um, and when they're not doing that, they're often quite clever or playful or charming. And they're, um, I think they can fool you. You might think they're very simple, but actually you can yeah. tell that a lot of thought has gone into them. They're, just less, they're less flashy, I think, than Hansong's yeah. stories. Hansong, you feel like, you. oh, this is a very clever and um, moody guy. Whereas with Shajia's stories, you might just read it as a piece of fun. But if you stop and think about it, it's equally deep. It's just a very different kind of deep. Um, okay, very final question. Um, what are you reading just now? Oh, well, I've, um, I've started
1: to read um, a book uh, called The Ecology of the Poor. Um, which is in the idea of uh, decolonizing our imagination and decolonizing our, our system. And uh, the other thing of course is I'm, I've already I just uh, I have on my shelf um, AI 2041 by Chen Chu Fan and Kai Fu Lee. So I'm going to read uh, that, that book pretty soon. And
0: yeah, awesome. I think someone's gonna give that one give that one to me for Christmas. So, fingers crossed. Um, I guess I'll say what I'm reading as well. Uh, Maybe appropriately, I'm reading for the very first time Neuromancer by William Gibson. So, the guy that I think Chen Shun Fan has been called the Chinese William Gibson. I'm finding out that's kind of true, but also they're kind of really different as well. Yeah, um, I guess that's all my questions. Is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye?
1: No, fine. I'm fine. It was very nice, very nice, very good to be.
0: Awesome. And now we've reached the final segment. So thank you very much, Francesco, for that interesting chat. I think it's ideal, really, when you've got two somewhat different takes on a story. Always always a good sign, really, that if you've encountered some weird event, just like one does in the story, Coming of the Light, if everyone who's walking away from that weird event thinks that they saw the same thing, then isn't that a sign that something's gone wrong? In a way, anyway, maybe I'm being too literary here, not not literal enough. Anyway, let's let's do the plugs and then you can you know, get on with your life or listen to the, the next episode of a completely different podcast. So I'll keep it simple, really. Um, if you want to talk to me or other listeners of the show, uh, there's lots of places you can do that. The best place to talk to other listeners would be the Discord. There's a link to join the Church of Vic Discord in the show notes. If traditional social media, you know, ancient institutions like Instagram and Twitter are more your thing, then here's where you can find me in the show. The show has its own Instagram, at Church of Vic, T-R-C-H-F-I-C, and I am my own, own person on Twitter. It's it's terrible. I don't I don't advise it, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Angus likes words. Um Last thing of all, of course, is the Patreon. We've got, I think, we're coming up to having more bonus episodes on the Patreon than standard episodes, though I'm not trying to trick you here. The uh, bonus episodes is usually solo, it's just me, and they average about half an hour long. I've got a teeny little one coming out, queued up for February, admittedly quite far off, which is the little two and a half minute segment with Francesco where he revealed to me his like favourite Chencho fan stories in what order. That's a bonus episode. Um, so all of these, those little bonus segments are going up on the Patreon too. But yeah, um, I said I wouldn't take too long. Let's not take too long. Let's say farewell. Of course, very last thing, you probably know what I'm going to say. It's the best way to spread the word about the show. Tell your friends, tell your teacher, tell your pet monkey if you've got a pet monkey. And Spread, you know, spread um, cropped, enhanced, deformed, semi-deleted images of the show with the BuddhaGram watermark attached, and then the recipient will extrapolate the entire RSS feed onto their phone. The wonders of technology, honestly. On that inspiring note, Zaijian.